It's time for another Basketball Insiders Podcast with Steve Kyler. Welcome to another installment of Basketball Insiders, the podcast. As promised, doing these mini podcasts out at Las Vegas Summer League. We've had Harrison Gaines, the agent for Lonzo Ball. We had Joey Crawford. And next up, Wes Wilcox, former general manager of the Atlanta Hawks. And as we're talking, apparently you've done everything you can do in sports. Let's reset this. So what was your first thing in sports? So my first, I guess coming out of high school I is when I, I knew what I wanted to do, really even before that. Um, so I went to go play at a small Division three Whittier College, didn't play, played golf for a year and coached at my high school. Then I, I'm still stuck on you played golf? One year. I was the worst golfer in the conference, in the Skyac. <laughs> Literally, I was the worst golfer in the Skyac. But I actually played used... golf in the Skyac, too, and he was much better than I. He was a different, <laughs> a little ahead of me in the Skyac. Uh, there's not much Skyac talk. It's just the <laughs> Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, which is a Division Three conference with like the Claremont Colleges, Whittier College, Redlands, Occidental, stuff like that. Okay. So, so anyways, Whittier to I saw Gene Cady speak at a UCLA coaches clinic, and I was like blown away. So I ran down there and said, "I want to work for you." I I flew out to um, West Lafayette, Indiana, and they were nice enough to hire me as a manager for a year. Did that for a year. Ended up coming back to California to coach a high school team with my old high school coach at Orange High School. Uh, We were terrible. We went 5-17, and but it was a great experience. At that time, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, which was my third school in in three years. This is when my parents... here. You're a professional hop-around dude. Yeah, this is when when my parents who were high school teachers started saying, like, you know what? No more transfers. Um, (laughs) And so I did it again. I transferred to Cal State Fullerton. Um, when Donnie Daniels went from Utah as an assistant for Rick Majerus to, to Fullerton as a head coach, which was right down the street from where we, where we, where I grew up, and um, every summer along the way working basketball camps, uh, a lot of time. What was your first basketball camp? You know, I don't know my actual first one. It might have been Oklahoma Christian University in Oklahoma City. Okay. Um, and then I worked Stanford camp, Utah for Coach Majerus. Uh, a lot of time at Stanford with, uh, really, it was. Uh, this was when Mark Madsen was playing. Yeah. Um, coach Montgomery was coaching. Uh, so a, t- a lot of time at Stanford. The pump camps. Love um, the pump, brothers. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. The pumps were great. Spent a lot of time with them. And then, you know, UCLA camp. I actually started my own camp for about five years. And all of these camp relationships with like-minded young guys led to, I'll never forget it, I was in graduate, well, going into graduate school at Cal State Fullerton. I got a phone call from like three different people about a potential internship at the Miami Heat. And I wanted, to, I wanted to be a college basketball coach. Like, that was all I ever wanted to do was coach college basketball. Um, and this Miami thing came up, and I, and I talked to Coach Daniels about it. He's like, what the heck? Go, go interview. See how it goes. So I sent my stuff in, had a phone interview. They said, look, we'll talk to you if you fly out. So I flew out to Miami. I forgot my resume. Um, I did. I forgot my resume. I spoke with uh, Jordan Cohn, who's now a scout with Philly. I spoke with Travis Schlink, who's now the GM. Travis was the video guy at the time. Travis is now the GM in Atlanta. Um, Interviewed with those two guys. I guess it went okay. A couple weeks later, I had a phone conversation with Eric Spolstra. They offered me the job, and I drove out to Miami and started in the NBA. Where did you go from Miami? Miami to one year in Miami in the video room, to New Orleans as the head video coordinator, 
I was an intern in Miami. Who was the head coach when you were there? In New Orleans, Paul Silas. Oh, great person, man. Yeah. The Silas family in general, they're they're like Oh, I'm such a huge fan of Steven. Oh man. Like, he's so next, right? Steve, he's so oh, next. for sure. Like Steven yeah. is on that kind of next wave of head coaches in the NBA. But even more than that, he, he's they're like the great dude. Like they, they are the most authentic, genuine people. The Silas family, I have so much appreciation and really love for them. They're great. So we spent a year in New Orleans, and then... Uh, and that was, where were you at in the video room at that point? Were I was the head video guy at that okay. point. So what does the head video guy do? That's a long time ago. <laughs> well, then <laughs> that, we that had, was... like, videotapes. Now everything you download in digital, the job is so different. Um, you know, we had to record games at night. You know, you were always preparing... You know, getting the games into the editing systems for your coaches to watch on video. And then you were always preparing, like, your scouting tape that you would show the staff and then eventually show the team in preparation for each game. And then, of course, you have, like, your your video projects, your player development projects, you know, working on individual players, trying to help them with their individual game, you know, or I should say help the coaches so then they can take that video to, uh, to the players. So really, but it was a different job then because literally we were working with VHS tapes and VCRs and routers. So you had a lot of dubbed movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. all all that stuff. This is way (laughs) pre-Netflix. So, but it was a great job. Like the the video job is one of the best jobs in the league amongst a lot of cool jobs. But you are like on the ground floor. You are like in the trenches working with your coaches trying to help win a game. Helping and, your players get and better. And you learn plays and terminology very yeah. quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say each stuff is different, but, you know, the video, video guys, the head video guys, they're, they're watching five to seven games in preparation for each game. You know, multiply that by, you know, it changes a little bit as you get later because once you start playing the same team a second time or third time in conference, you know, you, you probably for, focus more on your previous games. But, you know, you're watching three to five games in prep for every game. So the video room is a great training ground for other jobs in the NBA. So one year in New Orleans and that led to the opportunity in Cleveland? Yeah, Paul Silas gets the job uh, in 2003 in Cleveland. This is LeBron's draft year. Um, Pre or post fine? Pre or post fine. This is post. (laughs) Post fine. I'll, I'll never forget, I was in California with my family when the draft lottery, uh, went down and the Cavs won the lottery. I was like running around my house like a little kid jumping up and down because <laughs> everybody knew LeBron was there. Um, and so so I went to Cleveland in 2003 as the advanced scout, which was like just the next step in the kind of progression from video. And at that time, this was kind of like at the tail end in the advanced profession where, you know, the advanced scouts, pretty much every team had won. And you know, you traveled a ton, and you could get great seats in most gyms, in most arenas, where now the seats have, have it's changed. It's more difficult to get those really good seats. Like, media is the same, I imagine. Uh, yes. I remember very vividly where my good seat was. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> was. Yeah. It, it, hey, look, I'm never mad. All the PR people take great care of us. I'm never mad. Yeah, oh, for sure. We I don't understand. care where I sit. I'm there to be in the locker room. Yeah. So, but, so I did that advanced job a couple years. Um, and then really, well, a year and a half into that job, there was an ownership change out of the blue. After Dan Gilbert bought the team, we lost six straight games. He made a coaching change. I'll never forget, 18 games left in the season. We're like in the fifth seed. 
and uh, they made a coaching change, and they made Brendan Malo the head coach, took me off the road as the advanced guy, and put me on the bench. At, and I'm like 20, I'll never forget. We, we, and we were like literally 18 games left, and we were on a slide. And I go home every night, I turn on NBA TV, and it was like, like the, the Cavs are gonna make the playoffs. They're five, but they're fine. And then the next day is like, the Cavs are gonna make the playoffs. They're six, and they're fine. <laughs> and then a couple of games later, the Cavs may not make the playoffs. <laughs> they're seven. I'm not sure, and sure enough, we didn't make it. We slid out of the playoffs. And then that summer, um, Danny Ferry and Mike Brown came in, uh, and Mark Workentine was actually the, uh, the interim GM. He actually moved me out to Eugene, Oregon to work with Luke Jackson, who was our draft pick. Yeah. So I spent that time, about six weeks with Luke, um, trying to get him back right, kind of on a player development assignment. And then when, uh, when Danny Ferry and Mike Brown officially kind of took over, they offered, uh, they kept me in the advance role. And then pretty quickly, Danny and Chris Grant and Lance Blank started um, kind of talking to me about moving into some player personnel scouting, which I, I had no, I actually said no the first time. I had no interest in it. Um, but then the following year, I did it a little bit on the side. And then, um, and then two years after that, which I believe was 07, I moved full-time into like a college and pro scouting role. And that's such a different world than scouting yet. Yeah, I mean, when, when you go from, you know, the advanced job was, was really a great training ground to learn the players in the league. So I spent three and a half years full-time doing advanced. Um, and when you're in a gym every night, you get a really good feel for the players. But like going to scout college games, like I had... I had, Six hours. Yeah, ahead. I had no idea like what it was to scout a college player or what it was like for a freshman versus a sophomore versus you know a really good NBA player versus an average NBA player. Like that was a, a great learning experience and opportunity to try to figure out the the amateur side of the scouting um, game because that was that was brand new. Um, and then that's when you slid into G League, right? Or yeah, D League at, at the time. So, kind of my first year in the front office, scouting full time. We st- uh, one of the one of the things they had me do is it was a D League at the time, and there weren't very many teams. They're like, look, we, the, the the Cavs were thinking about buying a team, and so they kind of put me on like a research and development project. Like, look, just go visit teams, go figure out what it. Because nobody was, there was no blueprint for it. There was like no everybody blueprint. was doing it differently. Yeah, no. I mean, this is when David Kahn owned three teams, mm-hmm. you know, and so you go to Albuquerque and Darvin Ham was the coach, and you'd <laughs> hang out with Darvin in Albuquerque, and you'd go to um, Bill Eilert was the coach in Idaho, and Brian Gates was there, yeah. so you'd go hang out there, Rocky and you'd go Gates. up to the um, to to Sioux Falls or South Dakota <laughs> and hang out with Jaeger and try to. And, and so those guys were great because that was a real research and development project. And so it was the following, I think it was 08 then, uh, we decided, the Cavs decided not to buy a team, but Steve Demetrio, the, one of the local kind of businessmen and season ticket holders for the Cavs, decided to buy the team on his own and put it in Erie. But we became kind of the back of house support. We helped him hire John Trelor as our first coach. And I was kind of the... the, the the connection to really the the Cavs front office that was the entire front office was there to support Erie, right. and so like Trent Redden was a young scout at the time, and Trent was you know very helpful in helping all of us in Erie just try to try to build a good team, which we were able to do in Erie. 
And so I kind of did that behind the scenes for two years while I was scouting both pro and uh, the draft for the Cavs. And then John Trelor and Lance Blanks. Well, Lance Blanks gets the job in Phoenix in 2010, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So our first year in area was 2008. Uh, Lance Blanks gets the job in 2010 in Phoenix. This is after LeBron had left um, to, went to, to go to Miami. And then John Trelor went with Lance to, uh, to Phoenix as the director of player personnel. We had an opening in Erie. And um, Chris Grant was the GM. He was, Chris was awesome. And I, I, uh, I called Jay Laranega out of the blue. He was coaching at Cornell University. He'd been there for six months and had a bunch of conversations with Jay, who we, we had met through Lance Blanks, who had played for Jim Laranega at Virginia. Um, and, and Jay would come work minicamps in, uh, in Cleveland with us. He, he worked a couple of them and just struck up a really good you know, a great deal of admiration and respect for Jay. You could just see it right away. He just finished playing overseas. You could see he was going to be a really good NBA coach. And so he said yes. And he moved his family to, to Erie, and we did that for two years in Erie. Uh, we had a great run, some great, great stories. Um, but simultaneous to that kind of that second Erie stint, uh, with all the change in 2010 and people leaving, um, Chris Grant was was super nice, and uh, you know I, I have a great deal of appreciation for him because he gave me more opportunity in the front office. How old were you at that point? 2010. What are we now? 2000. So 30, 30, 30, 31. Okay. And so I, I eventually ended up. I think is the titles really didn't matter for the way we worked, but I think I was like. Director of Player Personnel in Cleveland, I think, is kind of where I topped out. Like, that was my kind of highest title. Um, while I was simultaneously doing the G League stuff um, that people really didn't know that much about. But in 2011, the Cavs, we decided to buy our own team that we put in Canton. And I became the GM of the Canton Charge. That's when you started to matter to me. I'm yeah, just going to be honest go. about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. So in 2011, we, we, we started the Canton Charge. Chris uh, Grant gave me another opportunity to be the GM of that team kind of full-time. It was a funny conversation because I'd kind of spent four years behind the scenes scouting the G League for sure, but four years kind of doing back of house with Erie. And actually it was three years back of house with Erie because we hired Jay in 2010. In 2011, we start Canton. Um, and this is another, we're super fortunate, I'll, I'll never forget calling Alex Jensen, who was an assistant coach at St. Louis, uh, to try to talk him into having interest in the NBA D-League. I'll never forget it. Because there was no money in the D-League. There was, no there was the let's just say it was an opportunity job. <laughs> it was a great opportunity job. But this is a great story. I called Alex on like a, the guy that we were going to hire for the job, we were trying to hire for the Canton head coaching job, turned us down. And I understand why, because his family situation. And so we had kind of gone through a process to hire a coach. We kind of targeted the guy that we wanted to offer it to. He's a very good coach, still very successful. And he ended up staying with his college program. And so I was like devastated. So I'll never remember flipping through my phone, randomly eating at a restaurant, and I saw Alex Jensen in my phone. Actually, no, I saw Rick Majerus in my phone. Because I had, for some strange reason, I have Al Jensen's phone number. 
under Rick Majerus. <laughs> and I still do, by the way. When Al calls me, it says Rick Majerus. <laughs> and so I, I can't change it because I have such amazing admiration for, uh, for Coach Majerus. So I called But it, apparently none for Al. But none for Al. <laughs> That's, Al will love that. Uh, so we... Uh, so I called Al, and I'll never forget. Al said, hey, listen, I'm calling. We haven't spoken in a long time. This goes back to the days of working camp at University of Utah. Yeah. And that's where I got to know Al Jensen. And really, we had not stayed in contact. We just, like, he was a camp coach. I was a camp coach. He was a player, though. I was a couple years older. And Hey, we haven't talked in 10 years, but I'd like to offer you a job. But, but do you have interest? <laughs> and in, cl- in classic Al Jensen fashion, he's like, no, no interest. <laughs> and in, and I, I will say... I was in character too, so I was like, okay, I understand you have no interest, but do you mind at least hearing me out about the job? <laughs> he said, basically, he said no. I said, I understand no, but can I still kind of share with you? And he said, sure. And by the end of that conversation, he you said, you know what? I have, I have some interest. Let me think about it. And so we hired Al in Canton. And, you know, one of the coolest things about the NBA, when, when, you have a, when you grow in responsibility, is the opportunity to help other people. Yes. And now, you, you have to give the other people and their talent level and their skill set and their integrity and character credit. Because Jay Laranega, John Trelor, and Al Jensen are just the highest level people in terms of integrity and character and basketball acumen. Um, but working with Al and Jay is like maybe the best, best, best time in, uh, in the NBA. So I did that with Al for one year, 2011 to 2012. We made the playoffs. I think we went to like the conference finals, which, I, which at that time means you win two playoff games in the D-League. Yeah. Uh, now the G-League. And then in 2012, um, Danny Ferry got the, got the GM job in Atlanta. And... Um, offered me the assistant so GM let's, job. So let's go there. So you've gotten us to there. What's that phone call like when Danny calls you? I mean, you've been in, and yeah. you know, there's there's kind of a pecking order all, to all of this. Yeah. That you can kind of hover around where you were for a really long time. Yeah. But then when you get that assistant GM, now it starts to get real. Now, <laughs> you, now it's on a track that's like, hey, maybe one day I'm running my own team. It's awfully hard to go from player personnel guy to GM in a quick period of time. Yeah. But you get... Assistant GM with Danny in Atlanta. What's that moment like? Yeah, you know, exciting, humbling, um, somewhat, you know, a lot of change. You know, at that point we have, at that point we have a two and a half year old. My wife is six and a half months pregnant with twins. Hey, honey, um, we're moving to Atlanta. Hey, honey, we're I'm moving not moving to Atlanta. To Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm staying here in Cleveland. <laughs> um, but, I, but I, you know. Danny left uh, Cleveland in 2010 to go back and, and kind of spend some time with the Spurs for a couple of years, and we had stayed pretty close throughout that time. And, um, you know, you never know if there's going to be an opportunity, but just that, that's why I say humble. You know, this, somebody, somebody asked you to come spend time with them and help them. You know, it means, it means a lot. And, and so I was excited for the opportunity um, and jumped at it, of course, and uh, moved to Atlanta. And, and then what was it? Two years later? Yeah, you know, the real GM, Lou Allgate. Yeah, you know, then, as a friend of Danny's, how hard was that for you to kind of see him have to go through that and what 
what yeah. all of the implications of all of that. Because I know Danny, you know Danny. Yeah. Danny's not that guy, like at yeah. all that guy. No, no, he's not. But to go to watch that kind of happen to your friend. Yeah, hard, really hard. Um, and you know, D- Danny is a really good person. Uh, has the all the tools to be, and has been, you know, a very, very good GM. Um, and I would say, and to watch him and his family really go through that when I know, we know um, Danny has great respect for all people, it's hard. Um, so but then, your, then your window opens. Where... Well, so we kind of had a year where um, I think we kind of say we were like kind of, you know, we were, I don't know, students with no principal. Uh, you know, we were just, we had, we had, Bud was in charge, Steve Coonan was, or kind of Bud was the final decision maker for that kind of interim window. Steve Coonan's our CEO. Um, I was kind of running, I was kind of helping behind the scenes a lot, and kind of that was the little team. And then a lot of other people, you know, did a lot. And then we ended up having like a really magical year. Um, and it's hard because, you know, Danny Ferry built that team, and 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 you just tried not to mess it up. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> I mean we, we made a, we made one trade during the season, but didn't impact the roster or, or the rotation. You know, there was some stuff that we did. We considered some other things, um, but really that, that that team was built with with you know it was a collaborative group. You know, Bud played a huge role in in, in those decisions. You know, for the for that first year going into it. You know, certainly the rest of the front office team, Rick Sund, you know, who's been unbelievable, to, great mentor really to all of us. And Rick played a big role. And, and even going before we went there, because Rick had, you know, had He's had been drafted, constant there for, yeah. what, 15, 20 years now? Well, it's, I think it's like uh, certainly a decade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he had done the Al Horford extension right before the lockout in 2011 yeah. and you know, without that, we probably can't, don't have the cap room that we ended up having in, you know, the summer 2013, um, after making the Joe trade in 2012. Um, so a lot of people did a lot of hard, you know, spent or contributed to that, uh, to that team that, that had, you know, the first conference finals in the history of Atlanta, but, but no one did more work um, than Danny and, and he deserves the credit for, for that team. So let's talk about the role of the GM. Yeah. What does the GM do? I mean, I've heard crazy things like September, you're helping guys get their car in town. And, I mean, yeah. is it really that silly? No. I mean, I mean, I mean what? I, I, the job general manager is probably the best definition of what the job is. Um, you generally manage all of basketball operations. Um, you know, so define that. I so, mean, without like a spreadsheet, let's, yeah. let's define that. I mean, I, you mean spreadsheets or something you think <laughs> that I would go to? Um, the uh, so if, if you if you think of the the everyone thinks of the GM of making trades, drafting, and uh, free agency signings, right? How you build a team. And you and I both know the GMs like the last line yeah. of defense. <laughs> no, on no, <laughs> no. They, certainly, it all comes down to you know whoever your final best. It's really your final decision making team. Because these, the, the owners in the league are the ones who we all make recommendations to, um, ultimately. And, and the, the owner is always going to give you the thumbs up on the deal before you do it through the, through the re- recommendation of their final kind of basketball decision maker. Um, 
who then kind of zooms out with the team, like who works through, you know, all of the aspects of these decisions. But if you want to take like a, a global view of basketball operations, you know, NBA team, if you take a whole NBA team, there's a business operations team that's all the revenue driving, a back of house, that's 200 people or so on average. And then if you were to just call basketball operations, it's about 50 people, not including the players. And if, if you take that 50 and you say, okay, so the job of the general manager is to kind of generally manage that group of 50, and, and that, that is really broken up into a couple teams. You would say your coaching staff is kind of one team, um, obviously led by the head coach, your assistants, then you have player development, then you have video, then you kind of have scouting. That would kind of be your, your, your coaching staff. Then you would have your medical team, led by your director of athletic performance or player performance, um, your trainer, your strength guys, um, your, your, your team doctors, a lot of consultants fill in there as well. Then you would have your, you know, what you call kind of your basketball operations department, which is a bunch of small departments where you'd have security, you would have facilities, you would have equipment, um, and there's probably two or three people in each one of those kind of little teams. Um, you have player programs, player engagement. Um, some teams have public relations kind of un under that basketball operations umbrella. Uh, and then your, your kind of fourth element is your player personnel group. Uh, and. And this is where you kind of get to your front, your typical front office. And I, I think your typical front office is really, you know, two big headings. You have player personnel, um, and then you have strategic planning. And within player personnel, you have two sub-teams, really. You have draft and pro. And teams break that out differently. But typically, there's, there's like, within player personnel, there are those two departments. Um, within, a, you know, a number of scouts across, you know, the country and the world. Because international plays into both pro and 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 the amateur side of it, as we know, and then strategic planning. You know, a number of a number of GMs call this something else, but strategic planning is really your cap management, your analytics group, um, and your legal team. A, a number of teams kind of have a legal team that fit in those other. Oftentimes, they wear dual hats, and and that strategy analytics team works in conjunction with your scouts and in the simplest form right your scouts tell you who they like and your 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 kind of strategy team tells you how to get them and your cap team is making sure that the finances make sense kind of long term and building your team build, you know and helping kind of formulate your team building strategy so like if you, it, that would be the the kind of global view and that's and, what i was looking for and, and the general manager's job is to hopefully uh really set the structure you know, build an inclusive environment. Um, a, a I say this a lot. Um, I've seen a lot of great teams can't get it done. And the reason they can't get it done is they're not cohesive. Yeah. Like at some point in the food chain, somebody's got a different agenda than the next guy on the agenda. Yeah. You've been around. Would you agree with that idea that you, you've got to have everybody on the same page? Yeah. Uh, you know, house divided will not stand. Um, and that's why, you know, one leader, uh, one voice, one vision is... Is, is absolutely necessary for, for success. So you have all of these people on a day-to-day -day basis. How frequently are you meeting with those departments as a GM? You know, hopefully your player personnel and your strategy group every day, to, you know, in some respects. Um, and, and I should say, amongst all of this, you, you really have kind of a senior management team, your assistant GM level, VP of basketball operations, that that would have 
direct kind of responsibility for each of these departments. And so as a GM, you're probably, you know, you're definitely connecting with your coaching staff every day or almost every day, you know, because sometimes you're on the road, there's, there's nothing medical very often as well. Certainly you're kind of assistant GM level VP of operations. Um, and then the part we haven't talked about is a GM's responsibility to business operations because there is a connection to your executive team on the business side that that relationship is very important and um, the relationship and communication with your ownership, with your ownership group. Um, that too is a big part of the GM job. Uh, and then media, you know, and we talked a little bit about media kind of fitting within that kind of basketball operations team or basketball maybe, might be say basketball administration is probably a better title for that group where, where PR would, would fall under, but, but that's a big part of it too. What role do you think the media plays in all of this and why do we matter or not matter? Well, the media is very important um, and relationships in the media have great value just like relationships across the teams and the agents. Um, you guys do a really, really good job. I don't know about me, but no. okay, you, I'll give it to everybody no, else. No, you, you do, and there is uh, there is so much value in 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 a in a respectful relationship with media. I'll t interesting side note. So, you know, I haven't been full time for the first time in a long time, twenty years almost. And do you find yourself not knowing what to do on a day to day basis? I've I've stayed busy. Okay, just just <laughs> want to make sure. But. Um, <laughs> In, you know, prior to, to really this, this year, I never listened to podcasts in, related to basketball, ever. And I'm I don't think one. And I listen to a lot of, like, finance and, and uh, investing podcasts and stuff, really because I wanted to learn how to communicate better with our ownership group. Because that finance world is not a world that, that I was had much exposure. So and I you need to have the terminology, yeah, just so, like coaching. Exactly. So I spent a lot of time trying to learn how finance, that how how people in finance think and work. I, I don't know that I have a great grasp of it, but I've certainly worked to educate myself in that area. Well, since then, since the time away, I've actually been listening to, to basketball podcasts now. And the value that... that I have extracted this past season from the podcasts are it, it's amazing and I feel like I it was a miss like had I when I do it again you know I'm gonna listen to your podcast I'm gonna listen oh, please don't no I, I'm gonna listen to a lot of your colleagues colleagues podcasts in the future and look there's a hesitancy to listen because you don't want to hear your team like you don't want the noise and the distraction of your I team. I think I've been very good about never talking to you about your own team. You have been very good. Yeah, <laughs> you really have. I, I but, recognize very early that'll be hard. Yeah, but but I, I would say most. A lot of times when I ask, I want to understand the decision. Like yeah, Jeff Weltman sure. and I are going through this because he's made some decisions in Orlando that, and look, I have to live there, so I want to understand. Yeah. So I want to understand. And look, I, I'll always. Okay, I'll buy into your premise. Let's see yeah. where we go together. History will prove where yeah, we're at. For so. sure. Just the respectful relationship from, you know, you guys have a job to do. You do it very well. Uh, we obviously can't tell you everything on the front office side of things or trying to, or trying to run a team, but we can explain, you know, the logic in, into why we made the decisions we made. And listen, half the time you guys know it anyways. Like, for us to assume that, that we are able to, like, 
to somehow too shape. many people involved. Yeah, there, there, there the are so many. The only time that nobody right. knows is when it's a two-person conversation. Yeah, and, and so and, and that's almost never the case. And so, like, that, that doesn't mean that the, the conversations need to change, but we should we should go into those conversations with a level of respect. And I know we certainly did to say like, you know what, I'm. The, the questions that I'm being asked most likely have answers to them already that are being kind of worked against my response in, in, in these situations. And, and that just speaks to, the again, the, the level of expertise and professionalism that... I always say this. I don't ask a question I already know the answer to. Yeah. I don't need you to answer the question. I need you to give me the quote. There you go. That's that's why I ask the question that seems like, well, wouldn't you know the answer to that question? Of course I do. I need <laughs> you to say it. Because if I say it, I'm just yeah. the idiot who said it. If you say it, it's a yeah. quote. Yeah. Um, what are the things you do away from basketball? Like, what are the things that you really enjoy doing? Yeah. You have a beautiful family. Yeah, no, I have. And, and you, you're you're hitting way above your average, man. I'm just going to oh, tell you. I, yeah. Look, I, you, the, you're the, a lucky the, man. The joke is, I'm a good scout. She's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and anybody knows my my wife, they probably would agree. Um, no, I got an incredible family. You know, the the blessing for for us this year has really been the time with our family. Uh, our son is eight. Our twins are almost six. Um, now they are huge hoop fans. You know, my wife worked in the league. Uh, you know, we were together last night at Top Golf. By the way, did you hit any golf balls last night? I actually did. Wow, I didn't. I, I hit one well, and I hit two very, very poorly. Okay. And there may be video of it on social media, and you really <laughs> don't want to see that. That guy swinging a golf club is not a good day. Uh, speaking of golf, I you know. I, I don't have the patience to golf anymore. I can't do it. So I, I don't really golf. I, I've gotten to... You said I, you're listening to podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I, I've, I've traveled a lot. I've put in hardwood floors in our house. You put them in? Yeah, I put them in. Are they straight? Oh, they're beautiful. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. My, my dad's a woodchuck teacher. Okay. Um, All right. Then that, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so like if I didn't... Yeah, like, you would yeah, not... Yeah, oh, my that dad would be very dinner. disappointed. Yeah. So okay. actually, I'm going back here. Uh, my, my, my wife is taking our kids to Dallas, and I'm going to uh, put the final set of hardwood floors, 500 square feet, in our master bedroom. So i got to rip apart our master bedroom. So that's next. So good. You're being handy. That's a good thing. Yeah, and, and connected with a lot movies? of friends. Are you into movies? Do you watch movies? Oh, yeah. yeah. As a road guy, you always watch a lot of movies. Yeah, no, I'll watch movies, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big reader. I love to read. So okay. I've read, like right favorite now. Favorite book? My favorite book is How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff. I love okay. it. It's a, it's a great book. There was an article about, I think it was in 2010, in the New York Times, about character trait education versus kind of the standardized IQ-based education. It's a great, great book. Um, I, I just read Lincoln's, Melancholy, Lincoln's Melancholy, which is a fascinating book about the depression that and the um, kind of mental anguish that uh, Abraham Lincoln dealt with throughout his life. I'm in the middle of... Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, two or three other books right now. Um, I, I, I read a couple at a time, so I've read a lot. So now you're getting into the media game. You've done everybody's podcast, and I made sure that the podcast we were going to do, I wasn't going to ask you a single NBA question. I wasn't. We weren't going to do that. We can, though. I like, no, the, I like the NBA. No, no. <laughs> 
We'll do that next time. Okay. But for you, what's next? I mean, obviously, you've interviewed for some GM jobs, and yeah. I'm not going to put those teams on blast if they didn't yeah. sign you. Um, <laughs> some of them made terrible decisions, but we'll no. just keep that between us. Um, but what's next for you? Is it, you know, you're going to do the media thing, but you're, you're trying to get back into this. You're, you're a lifer, right? Yeah, no, I, I love the NBA. I, uh, I'm, 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 we are, my wife, my family, we, we are deeply we have deep appreciation for the league and what it's done for our family. Um, you know, she worked in the league for 10 years or, or more, really. So, yeah, w when the right opportunity comes up, we'll certainly, you know, entertain it. Um, but let's talk about that, and we'll, we'll end yeah. it up here because I don't want to keep you forever. You actually do have to go watch games and do things other than just hang out yeah. with me. Why is that the most important aspect of it? You know, some people will go, a job's a job. There's only 30 of these. I want it no matter what it is. Well, you're seeing more and more guys being very selective about the opportunity. Why does it have to be the right opportunity? It, it, the, the, best part of the best part of the job um, is working with really good people, which I've been so – we talked about a lot of them on this podcast. And so – and, and there's a lot of really good people in the NBA, and there's a lot of really good opportunities. Um, and so – I would say it's it's even more about that than it is level. Like it's not about like I you have to be a GM. Yeah, or you, you have and I to both know if you wanted GM. to work tomorrow, you'd be working tomorrow. Well, you, yeah. you're kind. Like, but it's fortunately we have the ability to take some time. I, I've taken that time with with uh, kind of not in the race. Re certainly it was rejuvenated. It's funny because everybody wants Sam Hinkie back in the league, and you've probably talked to Sam many yeah. times. He's enjoying being away from the league because, like you, he was in it forever yeah, yeah, on the grind, sure. on the road, yeah. 150 days away from the family. Yeah, when you put some sure. money in the bank and you can spend time with your yeah, kids yeah. and get perspective on yeah. everything, get a little smarter about everything, yeah. why is that not a good thing? Oh, no, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a great thing, but for those of us who, like, you know, I'm the little kid that listened to 570 AM and Chick Hearn call the Laker games. Never, I mean, never went to an NBA game. My parents, we couldn't afford them. Um, and then to go from there to, you know, like, it, I get the chills, like, because we've been so fortunate. And so, like, the best, maybe, and maybe the best part is, is helping other people along the way. And so to create opportunities, like we have some young staff members in Atlanta that have moved on to other jobs. You know, Matt Elijah is now went from, uh, you know, a summer league, literally a summer league conversation on the concourse at Thomas and Mac into our, you know, director of analytics and strategy in Atlanta. And now he's, I don't even know what his title is with Mike Winger and the Clippers. And Jeff Peterson has gone from, you know, intern to assistant GM and on the GM track. And Andy Birdsong has gone from, I don't even know what Andy's title was after an internship in, uh, in San Antonio to now he's like, he was the GM of Austin and won the championship, and or yeah, in the G League, and uh, director of player personnel or something in San Antonio, and Dotun Akinwa. You can just keep on going down the list of people that you've been able to work with, watch them grow. Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn as a head yeah. coach, Quinn Snyder in Utah, and so like to to be a part of that, that's the part that you miss, you know. So, you know, if God willing, you know, we'll do it again someday. Um, and, uh, you know. If not, there is always Summer League next year, <laughs> Sports Business Classroom, where you can give away the farm to get Kawhi Leonard. Did we give up too much? I, I do love the fact that you guys gave up three burner accounts. 
Wow. I didn't give that up. Okay, so that someone, wasn't your, so, someone, someone else, else wrote, wrote that, that in. Okay, okay. Um, we'll make sure that didn't come No, no. <laughs> someone else wrote that in. But I think the, I think what we gave up, right, was Fultz, Covington, Sarich, 2019 Philly first, 2020 Dallas first, 2021 Miami first, swaps in 2023 and 2025. And this is a great one. I told Dylan, who was making the trade, protect the swaps top one. Not that this matters. And he forgot. So I guess we <laughs> gave up unprotected swaps. Uh, we, let's just say San Antonio did really, really good in that deal. <laughs> He is Wes Wilcox, former GM of the Atlanta Hawks. You should tell a pretty good guy. Uh, this will wrap it up right here from Las Vegas. A couple of more mini podcasts coming your way. So stay tuned right here at Basketball Insiders. Thanks, Steve. This has been an Insider Sports production. Be sure to check back with Insider Sports for all the hottest, most in-depth coverage on teams you love and download the Insider Sports app available free in your favorite app store or at insidersports.com.